And now Radio Maria England presents Questions of Faith. Everybody and welcome to Questions of Faith. I'm Father Sam Randall, priest director of Radio Maria. I'm your host today for the uh, for Questions of Faith, and I have a co-host with me, uh, a new co-host, Sister Cecilia. Hello, uh, hello, Father Sam. It's really lovely having you. It's lovely uh, being here. She says she's a stone Dominican. Which, you have to be uh, careful how you say that, right? I'm not sure what that is. So the the community that we come from uh, were based in stone. The mother house was in stone since the eighteen uh, hundreds, um, and so yeah. So in Cambridge we have the novitiate house, but the main house is in stone. Thus, uh, from the time of beginning, it's been known as the Stone Dominicans. It's not like the, the discalled Carmelites. No. Because, it, listeners, uh, the Carmel had a big split, and some would wear sandals and some wouldn't. Oh yes, and some would be vegetarians, and some wouldn't, and things. No, this is specifically about it's the not town. stones in your shoes. No, definitely penance. No, we're Dominicans. What are you doing? Okay, <laughs> no, so true. definitely to do with the town um, where the the main house okay. is in stone, which is near another town. Oh, dear. <laughs> I've only been there twice, <laughs> and I don't know English geography. Okay, is it north? Is it definitely England? It's definitely in England okay. and northish. Uh, before we go, listeners, I'll find out. So uh, I'll have a look. Google uh, Maps. Google Maps. I'm going to do that. So we're here, questions of faith, answering your questions about faith, the Catholic Church, social issues, and any other topics that come up. You can ring in if you'd like. Uh, you could share your questions with us at email us at questions at radiomaryengland.uk. You can call us here in the studio on 02037 818 or text or WhatsApp our studio mobile on 07502 Yeah, You'll soon be losing me, listeners. We're beginning to tell people that I'm, I might be moving, or I am moving. I'm moving, uh, and uh, so you'll have some other people doing this. But you should send some tricky questions in to me before I leave. That'd be great. And you could even ask questions about um, me and my journey of faith into the Catholic Church, if that is of interest. So questions at radiomaryengland.uk. You could call us on the studio 02037 Or as I said, you can WhatsApp on the mobile. So, but before we go any further, um, let's begin with a prayer. And um, I'm going to ask Sister Cecilia, would you do a prayer to begin? I will certainly do a prayer to begin. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for these questions. We thank you for people's hearts who want to learn, who want to grow, who want to heal. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will guide Father Sam and myself, that we would speak truth, we would speak pastorally, we would speak the truth as your word, te- your word tells us with gentleness and love. Our Lady Seed of Wisdom. Pray for us. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, listeners, our first question that's come in is, why do some popes become saints but some don't? And before we get to that, do you have a favourite saint, uh, pope who's a saint? I know what you're going to say. Don't, <laughs> say, say. don't say in the 20th century, anybody. 
Oh, oh. gosh, see, that's tricky for me. See, I'm a convert, and, and so for me... What about you know, before that? Before I was a convert? No. Uh, before <laughs> any, any popes who are saints? Gregory? Oh. Uh, yeah, and, oh, gosh, you see, you shouldn't do this to me. I'm a Dominican. I should know all these things. Oh, I don't worry. Um, but no. <laughs> um, I bet yeah. you're going to say a Saint John Paul. Uh, yeah, we do, don't we? What we about do. Saint John uh, the Twenty Third, Vatican Two, and so on? All that wonderful stuff. Yeah, all that, all that wonderful stuff. Yeah, I think. I mean, for me, yeah, he, he was he he was amazing, and uh, he was um, one of the ones that when I was first coming to the Catholic Church, he was obviously the one that was being discussed, the one that was around, and and you know it was the first time that you really sort of saw. Uh, people from other denominations, which was my denomination then, uh, encountering the Catholic Church. So for me, it was actually quite a stepping stone, the stuff he was doing, that it got rid of um, the sense of wall is that, you know, Catholics didn't talk to me and I didn't talk to them and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I hold him in very high regard for those those there, reasons. There, there are some saints who transcend boundaries. I think of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She's one who did, uh. who did that. Whole, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, you find yeah. people, don't you think? I Absolutely. mean, St. Francis is another one. Yeah. So they sort of, uh, people, you know, of all, all traditions, mm. uh, faith traditions. Mm. So is it St. John Paul II who's your favourite? I think it would have to be, at this stage anyway, and that's really an experiential answer rather than, you know, um, yeah. one that I would no, say well, he, because of these reasons. Mm. It was my confirmation name. Oh, there you go. Perfect. John Paul II, yeah. Because, because he was your favourite? Um, it was sprung on me at confirmation. <laughs> I wasn't no. I have pre- very badly prepared. I'd have to say, I, oh, <laughs> listeners, I did go through the catechism, but um, uh, I didn't know that was. I was going to be asked. My wife and I are asked, "What's your name?" And I thought, "Well, that's a funny question." <laughs> I'm just about to be confirmed, and then I yeah. realised. So yeah, I, I, John Paul II, definitely. Yeah. Oh, he's wonderful, extraordinary. Nice. One of the sisters tells a story that all of their classes were always named after the person who was there. Catholic teacher, none at the time. So the whole class of like 30 students would all be, they're all, all there. Um, their saint would be Saint, you know, for example, Saint Martha or Saint whatever. That, that was their religious name. Yeah. And so, so the whole, all the, class, all the well, class had to take on that that name for their confirmation. <laughs> How, not their religious name, though. They didn't all join the, mm. the different No, it's orders. when they were being confirmed as okay. children. Mm. Oh, I see as children. Mm. Oh, I'm with you. Okay, mm. got that. So I, th- I just imagine you're all in the Angelican all <laughs> and, and everyone has to take the same name. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mm. Okay, so why do some popes become saints but some don't? It's quite an easy question, that. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's it's one of the things that we can get confused about is that the journey for sainthood is different for a pope than for us, where it's exactly, you know, it's it's the same journey that in the same way that we can we make choices about holiness and about saying yes and all those kinds of things um, that takes on that journey. It's it's the same for them. So I think, you know, it's answered, for me, it's answered in that kind of, of way. It touches on that question about the infallibility. That's exactly right. Doesn't it? Mm. So uh, did you ever read the uh, Hans Kuhn on infallibility? No, I didn't. Yeah, um, it was quite interesting. In fact, that question uh, has caused some people to leave the Catholic Church. There was the old Catholics, I think. They, okay. They wouldn't accept that. Because the writing that he... No, it was because, not Hans Kung, no, no, because of uh, the question about infallibility. Infallibility, sure. Mm. So, um, but again, I, I, there was a wonderful picture of Pope Francis at confession. 
And that, to me, illustrates everything mm, that you're is. saying. It is true. Mm. So the reason, listeners, that because some aren't saintly. And boom. <laughs> that's the answer. <laughs> that's the answer. So, um, okay, if you've got a favourite pope, do you have one who's who's the least favourite? No. I'm going to opt for Julius II. <laughs> With good cause. Yeah, for good cause, mm. yeah. I'm, I'm a great fan of Erasmus and, <laughs> and his book on In Praise of Folly, Need You Say More. Yeah, with a title like that, yeah. It's well, as a convert, it was interesting because that exactly was one of those things that was raised, this whole thing of, uh, you know, arisen was, you know, in terms of, oh, you know, how Catholics saw the Pope. Mm. And one of the ways I loved to explain to me was they said, well, you know, we look at the life of... Um, of St. Paul uh, or St. Peter, for example, especially St. Peter, you know, and you look at his life and you say, mm. was his life infallible? Was Did he ever make him, like, just without mistakes? You're like, well, no, of course not. But we take his writing in the scriptures as having authoritative state. Yeah. I think it's that that ability to be able to separate the two is that, you know, well, when the, the writing come out that is declared infallible, it doesn't mean that we've got this Pope who whose life is exactly the same. It's this, the no. same journey of, of confession and saying yes and things like that. Well, it's also um, the the only infallible statements were things like the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed mm. Virgin Mary and the Assumption, and that's after the Church has agreed on that. All the bishops and the Church have agreed. Yeah. And then he makes a statement. Yeah, and we so see... So he's yeah. not infallible in the bath. <laughs> that's right. And certainly not at confession. So, yeah, yeah the reason why some popes become saints and some don't is because mm. some aren't saintly and some are. Mm. So it's just that, you know. Uh, it reminded me of that lovely line from Leon Bloy. The, the only tragedy in life is not becoming a saint. Mm -hmm. Don't you think it's wonderful? It's beautiful. Yeah, he had an, an interesting life, but we won't go on to him. <laughs> um, so it is beautiful. There you are. So that's why. Yeah. Now for our next question. Now, this is a deeper question, listeners, and this comes up a lot. And if you're in dialogue with Protestants, this one is inevitably going to be mentioned. And it's, does the church, Catholic Church, of course, still believe in the existence of purgatory? And if yes, how long might we spend there? How much time might we spend there if you, if you believe in it? Excellent question. And I must say, this is interesting because other doctrines of the Catholic Church, there was um, my... Sponsor said at the time that it was had real grace, like just things I would just accept and be like, fine. For me, purgatory was potentially the deal breaker, and because it really? had been wow. explained so so badly, you know, it didn't make sense. And so, for someone who you know had came from a very strong Christian background to have this place where, for me, it was. It, there was a misunderstanding that purgatory was this kind of like, well, let's see if she's really cut out for this heaven stuff or not. So it was, you know, as you hear some writers talk mm. about it, that it was sort of presented as this waiting room type thing. Let's, you know, let's see, you know, wait before the judge and, and see what happens where, um, you know, I love the way that, for example, C.S. Lewis, and it was interesting, you know, as a convert, finding how many um, people, including someone like C.S. Lewis, agreed, you know, and for him purgatory just made sense, especially in the light of that there was that assurance of salvation and he was talking about, you know, the cleaning up. And see, I love the way, you know, he talks about it in terms of um, he says um, something like, you know, wouldn't break your heart if God said to us, it's true, my son, and he, and he mentions this in one of his books, um, that your breath smells and your rags drip with mud and slime, but you're charitable here and we'll, you know, we won't upbraid you with these things. We, you know, go for it. 
And he says, no, it just wouldn't make sense. He said, you know, it, for him it makes sense that we'd be called to be cleaned up first, Do you e- know which even book? if it hurts. Was it The Great Divorce? He does talk about it in this as well, but this one is one of his last books. I think it's called Letters to Malcolm or something like that. On it's prayer. Not, mm. Oh, I know. So, But he also does talk about it in The Great Divorce as well, of course. Do you know, he's the greatest non-Catholic Catholic. Yeah, that's right. Yep. He's it's fabulous. extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he's brought so many people into the Catholic Church. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's quite wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but that was really, really two elements of that were really important for me. One was that sense of assuredness, you know, assurance of salvation, uh, and two was that it wasn't just sort of this sitting around room, waiting room for the train kind of thing, but you know, or you know, the suffering in a sense for pointless, you know, reason. There was no reason to it, but that sense of in the same way that in this world the way that we know we grow in holiness is through hardship and, and, you know, being obedient and looking for those kinds of things in the struggle and in the saying no to to the flesh to say yes to God and an understanding, well, in the same way that we would be doing that on earth, we see that same thing happening in purgatory. So those things were really helpful for me as a convert, yeah. I know, it's not, I mean, when you're a Protestant you think, okay, you're saved and that's it. You're just going to go to heaven. That's and the right. point you is, you tick the box, you're good to go. Yeah, that's it. So it's getting ready uh, for, for the um, the vision of God. Mm, yeah. yeah. So, um, this. What about scriptures? Do you have? Do you know any scriptures that, that support purgatory? I mean, we can prove it from the early church fathers. They they talk about Monica and uh, mm-hmm. Augustine's mother, don't they? Mm. So she she would pray for her son, and there's that's others. Right. Tertullian even mentioned it. So mm-hmm. we're going back now, sort of, you know. Certainly saints, in, in, although Tertullian is not one of the saints, but, I mean, writers and the mm. early church writers are, um, are uh, talk about it. And there's a nice stuff by Peter Brown. Have you come across his writings? No. Fantastic. Okay. On the early church, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. He's not um, a Catholic or theologian, but he just looks at the history. And you can tell from the earliest beginnings, listeners, uh, you can tell by things like, um, you know, things in the catacombs and stuff that the Christians believed uh, in uh, an afterlife, of course, but they believe in a sort of purgatory. And they felt that they could affect what happened to people in purgatory. They could pray uh, prayers for the dead. Uh, it's an early attestation. It's it's early in the, in the life of the church. It's there. But when you get to scriptures, mm. we know it's in Maccabees, but that's a trouble that Maccabees <laughs> is not right. in the Protestant Bible. That's right. Right. So, yeah. listeners, I've got a verse for you. Which one do you use? 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, uh, yes. All right. Do you know that? Yeah. So do you go? Oh, you don't know that verse, do you? That is a very strange verse. <laughs> I've got a few down, but I've got the ones that I know for me. Go on. Again, there were some that I read and I, and, and as go a Protestant, on. I went, ah, oh, yeah, but you can still make that. So, so whereas, I'm interested in mm, these verses before I come back to my odd verse. To new, your odd verse. Go on, which ones have so you got? So the two that really... Apart from, you know, and again, because, for, again, from a Protestant perspective, sola scriptura, that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, let's go for The Catholics this. would quote yeah. Maccabees and I'd be like, yeah, whatever. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, even that whole idea of, of it seeing right in the beginning of history was a key thing because the rumour was, was that it was a later concept in the no. church and it was a pope that introduced yeah. it for the sake of indulgence, no, which was a whole nonsense. different discussion. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like you said, the catacombs and the writings and back then. So, What are the two scriptures? So the two scriptures I've got is uh, Matthew 12, 32. Um, so it says, whoever says oh, yeah. a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks again the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or, or in the, the age, age to, come. to come. Absolutely good point. Uh, Which there's a whole discussion in yeah. that. Uh, and then the other one, which uh, I thought you were going to do the same one, as the other that? one I've got is 1 Corinthians three eleven to 15. 
For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it yeah. because it will be revealed. Here we go. Because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work which any man has or any person has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any person's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss. And this is the key thing, though he himself will be saved as only through fire. And this was explained to me, I think it was one of Thomas Howard's uh, books, I think Lead Kindly Light or oh, yeah. Being Catholic. I think it was on Being Catholic. It was one of the first books I read um, where it, it doesn't say that the works will go through fire. And they will be tested, but the person themselves will be tested yeah. through fire. So for me, that was a couple of passages that for me I kind of went, well, I have to ask the question, what do I do with those verses yeah. if, if, if I don't want to believe in purgatory, so to speak? I'm glad there's purgatory. Mm. I, so I, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> yeah, me, me and C.S. Lewis. Okay, here's my odd verse. Mm, 1 yeah. Corinthians 15, 29. Mm -hmm. He asks St. Paul, uh, ask the Corinthian church, why people are being baptised for the dead? Now, that is an odd verse. That's an odd verse. You're going to a whole different level of conversation now. Yes, but what's important is that uh, St Paul doesn't challenge the practice in, mm, in the Corinthians. And what he's saying is that somehow what happens here on earth affects people who've gone before, mm -hmm. who've died. Mm hmm it's amazing. It's amazing. And again, this See, is isn't great. that beautiful verse? Why don't people talk about it? Yeah. <laughs> because it's uh, people, there are certain verses in the scriptures. I should write a book on scriptures people ignore, you know, scriptures that people don't like. <laughs> I think that's more than one book. I think that's a okay. series of volumes, yeah. No, but that's one of them. <laughs> and it just shows you that what we do is not down to Maccabees. It's clear that somehow what we do on earth, and we can affect listeners, if you've got loved ones, and uh, you're worried about them, you can pray for them. And the mm. wonderful thing about being Catholic is we can believe that we can make a difference. Mm, absolutely. In them, the people who've gone before. And even while, more wonderfully, they're praying for us. Yeah, it's just, just an amazing Church thing. triumphant, church uh, militant. It's wonderful being part of the Catholic Church. Great. If you've got any follow-up questions, is there anything else you want to say about purgatory? Oh, how long? The question was actually, oh, yes. how, how, you, long? how are you going to spend there? Well, I don't know that one. Yeah, How you can answer that. Well, it's interesting. Different people say different things, and like, see, Pope Benedict turned it on its head a little bit, where he picked up on previous writings, but he really focused on the fact that it wasn't sort of fixed on time as such, but that it, to focus on the process. Um, and yeah. he he even suggested that you know, in terms of it being out of time in a sense, um, and therefore um, you couldn't really measure it now. Other teachings will talk about that certain prayers or certain penances have an effect on length of time in purgatory. So I'm not sure how, how all that fits, but I think the the element of what Pope Benedict was saying is in terms, you know, in terms of think about it as a process rather than how long. I found found helpful because it put my focus in the right spot. That it's about you know preparing me to, you know, experience the pure beatification of our, our Lord rather than having to serve a time sentence. No, exactly. It's not like a court. But some people need to spend more time thinking through things than others. Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. you know, so we can't tell you, listeners, the honest question is, I don't know how much time you're going to spend there, but you're going to go there because the church believes in it and I believe in it. And so is it to Sister Cecilia and it's, you know, scriptures, yeah. church tradition, history, 
catechism teach it. Absolutely. Now, of course, you know, one of the things we believe with the saints is that they go straight to an experience straight away, the beatification. Yeah. So there's no purgatory for them. And so that's it's a, it's a good prayer, brave prayer, but a good prayer <laughs> to be praying, Lord, make me a saint. Yeah. To avoid purgatory. To avoid purgatry and yeah. to be able to live a holy life in this, this world. I hope that was helpful. So our next question is is pretty serious. And um, I, with Sister Cecilia and I were talking about people we've known who have committed suicide. And the question is, um, if someone commits suicide, are they damned? Before that, so you, you, you were telling me about students you know who'd committed suicide. Yes, well, in Australia I was a num- doing a number of different roles, including a chaplaincy role, and so we had uh, students um, who committed suicide. How old? What age? Uh, all sorts. Uh, probably the one that's most recent student, he would have been about 14, oh, I think. Oh, dear. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, and, and I, my heart really goes out for anyone sort of asking this question because it's, it's not a question that is just an tends to be an intellectual discussion, no. but this is someone crying out to say, look, what, what do I do with this? I know this person. And and so, if, you know, first of all, I know that Father Sam, you know, is the same, that a heart goes out to anyone who's listening that's been in this place and yeah. potentially struggling with this. Um, and for me, the first point is to remember that our God is an all-loving, merciful God. Um, and so I think that's that's a good foundation um, to to come from because it's it's never neat, you know. You, you can I don't know about you, but it's you, you can't sort of go well. It, it belongs to this kind of person or whatever. Um, because my a friend of mine who even just last year, um, they were in full time Christian ministry and all those kinds of things, and and so I think that kind of stuff, especially, it it really throws it up in the air and to go well. What do I do with that. But you, you, Father Sam said the same thing. You've had experiences of people um, either in your ministry or through life that um, have committed suicide. Yeah, I do. The person, the woman you were talking about who was in full-time ministry, she was a mother as well, wasn't she? She was a mum um, and incredible story. She was, as I said, full-time ministry, mum and you know, the at the at the funeral, the children were talking oh, about dear. that. Even even the weeks leading up to it, you know, she would sit and she would still give really solid Christian advice, and she was reading her Bible with them and praying with them, and um, yeah, and that's I think is one of the times where you're just going, what what do I begin to do with that in that space? Because of course we talk about insur- assurance of salvation, we talk about mm. um, you know Jesus and and Saint John would talk about, you know, that the fruit was, you know, the sign of full repentance. And so you're saying, well, I look at the fruit of this woman, you know, full-time ministry, changing lives, great friendships, great family that's all very strong, full-time ministry, all those kinds of things. Um, and I think that's, you know, one of the struggles because it doesn't seem to, no. to add up because, you know, and I think that's where potentially for um, a Protestant to go, well, don't don't put the doubt of salvation in my mind to do with this because when I look at the fruit of this person's life, and we're talking about a very specific example, obviously, um, in terms of a Christian, um, but you know when I look at the, the the fruit of their life, don't now tell me that because they did this one thing that that's the end of it for them. And I think that's where potentially the pain and potentially the anger and frustration kicks off a little bit. They are not damned. They are not damned. It used to be that the church for a suicide would would bury the body in a, on consecrated ground or something. I think I'd, I don't know, you know years and years ago. Mm. 
but um, they are not damned. Mm. Um, yes, I've known people who've uh, committed suicide and uh, the, the damage done to people around them was terrible, but they wouldn't have wanted that. Mm. And um, the pain that's caused, if this has been your experience, you know someone, please be assured, as Sister Cecilia says, of the love of God. The love of God. And this is something, if anyone did that, they're not um, of sound mind, may I say. Um, you know, they are clearly um, depressed. Can you imagine a young mum doing that? Mm. I mean, it's not something. These people are not damned. That's the wonderful thing about our church. It doesn't end with death. You know, it's just, a, it's in a way a new beginning. And uh, the Lord understands this, understands this deeply. Mm. Um, we and are that, loved mm. and, and we need to know that. We all go through terrible times. Have you ever, sister, honestly thought about taking your own life? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There was, you know, not it's not a regular thing, but there was but a year has, particularly yeah. um, where, you know, it got very, very dark. And I remember at one point, um, you know, in the fetal position on the floor, and I literally had the Psalms in one hand and, you know, and speaking the Psalms out. But in the other hand, I had um, a phone directory trying to work out that if I needed to, how I could um, um, institutionalise myself so I could get some help. Right. And so I had these two books in my hand just feeling very jobish, you know, prying out to God and um, and those kinds of in, in those kinds of, of places and um, but yeah I think we must that, we must be so careful not to judge people mm -hmm. sometimes it's the last thing and you think for that you know especially younger people caught up in difficult mm -hmm. you know they feel rejected by somebody and um, then they do something terrible mm. you know yeah. I mean we need to reassure one another certainly of our love but also of the Lord's love for us and people do go through dark times mm. people really do um, when I was in the army, people, the, mm. some of those young mm. men, it was shocking. Um, some of the things I've, I saw, and they were depressed. And, yeah, mm. so yeah. Um, you're not, they're not, the answer is, the church doesn't teach this. Mm. They are certainly not damned, not at all. Yeah, and if you have come across that teaching in the church, um that that whoever's telling you that is misquoting the church totally. teaching. Yeah, don't. I mean, you know, because a part of what I talk about, you know, in terms of you know, mortal sin and the three conditions of mortal sin, which is we're going, you know, one of those is that the it has to be committed with full knowledge and deliberate consent, and the reality is that you know a person in that state isn't doing that with either of those with either of those things. They're not, you know, they're not in full knowledge. They're not in a place where they can offer deliberate deliberate consent because they're just in a place where it, they can't come to those kinds of, of conclusions. And for me, I think that's one of the beautiful things about the Catholic Church and why it's so important for us to know our catechism and, and know the actual teachings of the church because what you actually find, it's actually really beautiful and helpful to say, okay, there is assurance of faith and, and there's a reassurance about where my friend or my family member um, is um, in the way that I look at their life and the beauty of their life and the way that God's grace showed through their entire life. Yeah. Um, it's it's a particularly tragic when a child, um, a little mm. a teenager, uh, it's horrible. I mean, 
we've got to pray. I think um, the, the certainly people are feeling after not just COVID, but in society, and people are being bullied through. Um, we hear things through um, the internet or through I don't know the, the phones mm. and young people doing this. We've really got to care for one another and affirm one another. And um, yeah, that's terrible. I remember um, when I was an, a young a young clergyman, I was a curate, and my friend's uh, was a vicar. And his son, his girlfriend left him, and he overdosed. This young man. It was so shocking because and seeing my friend and this, what happened? He didn't die. Oh wow. So the young man is in a persistent vegetative state mm -hmm. and visiting him with my friend Stuart, visiting his son. Mm. It's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, and, it, you know, you realise how ridiculous. Mm. And I think that's, a, you know, uh, Jesus tells us in, in Matthew that, you know, if, if you want good things as a, you know, a sinful person for your son, how, imagine the good things that God wants for you as your heavenly father. And I think that's a good thing. You know, you talk about things like the heartache and the the sadness and stuff is to recognise that God isn't looking at that situation with any sense of I told you so or that'll teach you. But, no. you know, and in the same way that you might be feeling that heartache and that sense of loss and that longing for their salvation, their longing, you know, for those things, we're feeling that because it's replicating um what God is is feeling and and it's a great opportunity we mentioned before um, about praying for people you know that in that place and maybe it's one of the reasons why this person is playing around your mind it's an opportunity to really to pray for them um, and um, yeah and to to really just connect in to the love of God thanks we're going to take a short music break now <laughs> Faith. I'm Father Sam and I'm here with Sister Cecilia, a stone Dominican religious here in Cambridge. If you'd like to share your questions with us, you could email us at questions at radiomaria.england.uk. Uh, you can call us here on the studio on 02037 818 You could text or WhatsApp to our studio mobile on 07502385010. This program is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Anchor and other podcast services. Thank you. <laughs> so our question is, um, if someone else makes you really angry and so you respond with anger, 
is that a sin? Sister Cecilia, have you ever been really angry? Oh, never. <laughs> Evil laughter. Um, <laughs> absolutely. And, again, you know, it's it's interesting because I think the, the use of the word respond is interesting because I think the significant thing for me is that it's rarely responding with anger, it's reacting with anger. There's a guttural, you know, response that, that, that comes out and... Um, and various writers, you know, whether it's the church and, you know, Aquinas, things like that, actually distinguish the two when it's that guttural, sudden reaction. It's not a contemplated, okay, you know, yeah. thoughtful action, but it's just someone cut you, cut you off in the traffic and your reaction is to go, Okay, well, which is the sin? Which is the sin? I think um, so that's not good, but it's not a sin and it's definitely not a vice because it's not repeated. Um, I think that if um, it's, a rea- it's a response that causes hurt, then that's another thing. If that's the reaction, if that's the response, then right. that, that becomes a sin for that then sense. I Are think, you telling me road rage isn't a, a sin? <laughs> road rage, well, I think that's different because okay. what happens, and again, um, being good Dominican, I need to quote Aquinas and talk about Aquinas, but <laughs> it's that thing of that if, if you – road rage tends to be because you've given in to that each time rather than saying this isn't okay, I need okay. to get temperance or and, and patience kicking off. Um, and road rage, I think, is a sin because uh, it's actually something that's become a vice. Uh, it's a regular response. Um, Don't we to need to cranky. differentiate with righteous anger? Definitely, and that's why I was going to say the, 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 the verb of respond, I think, is an interesting one because sometimes we see Jesus responding um, with that sense of anger. Like the main one, obviously, everyone talks about is the driving out of the the sellers from the the temple, yeah. Um, but that's and to me that's a response rather than a reaction of anger. Well, why it's was measured. why was Jesus angry? Oh well, um, so the story for those who don't know, um, Jesus going into the the temple and there's all sorts of people there selling um, different um, animals and money changes for the sacrifices and and things like that. And a part of it was they were charging exorbitant amounts. You know, they were actually setting people up so that they would you know, just do terrible things. And there's also scholars that say that where they'd set themselves up was where in the part of the temple where the Gentiles were permitted the court to go of to the worship. Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles. And so, yeah, so it was actually inhibiting people from worship and inhibiting people from being able to bring their, their true gift to God. And so we see those and he words gets, and from the Lord, Jesus. And the Lord is angry. Yeah. Yeah, because and he quotes uh, from the Old Testament where he says that you know my father's house is a house of prayer for all nations for all nations and yeah. so these people rather than um, inviting and enabling people which what sacrifices were to do they're actually stopping them and stopping the house being a, a house of prayer as, as God had intended. Do you know any other cases in the scriptures where the Lord is angry? Uh, in terms of Jesus, when you say yeah. our Lord, yeah, yeah. Um, not off the top of my head. Have you got Can some? you think of some? I mean, for instance, when they're going to, um, they, the woman's taken an adultery and they're going to stone her. What that's, do you think? Oh, that's think? interesting. I mean, See, I'd, don't I'd... you think the Lord got angry with the religious people sometimes, calling them whited <laughs> sepulchres, you know, you brood of vipers? I mean, it's not something you're going to say if you're sort of, you know, cool <laughs> and just don't mind too much. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, you know, he, he talks about the blind leading the blind and all that kind of thing. And I think that's that's the difference. I mean, because what we see is, you know, he's not getting angry 
because and this is where we tend to get angry is it's actually a selfish anger anger rather than a righteous one because it's what you're doing is affecting me and it's impacting on me whereas jesus the examples that we see with him yeah uh he's getting angry because it's actually um uh, having a negative um, effect, so to speak, and negative opportunities to bring those people to the Father. He's, and that's the righteous he's angry, anger. He's angry for others. He's yeah. angry because of the way people are being treated. He's, um, but Whereas um, some of the anger that affects us is because our pride, uh, our sense of who we are and our sense of self-importance is, is challenged so we can become angry. Mm. Yeah, And that's the difference, I think. That's a totally different mm. anger, yeah. So... Um, so that's it. So if um, is it a sin? If someone else makes us angry and we get angry, is it a sin? Well, possibly is the answer. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, and I've had confessions where I've brought something and the priest has said, well, actually what you're expressing as anger is actually that righteous anger and it's appropriate for you to be angry. It's appropriate for yeah. us to be angry at some of the things that are happening in the world. It's appropriate for us yeah. to be angry. Um, but you know, I guess that's a good question we can ask ourselves if we ask ourselves this question is the why am I angry? Is it because it's affecting me and that's then issues of selfishness, pride, lack of patience um, or is it a righteous anger because I'm seeing how, as Father Sam said, it's affecting them and it's affecting them being ushered into the kingdom, so to speak. I don't think anger is sin. It's what you do with it. Absolutely. Well, you know, and yeah. again, you know, passions aren't wrong in themselves. No, that's um, right. It's what we do with them. Yeah, and um, yeah. yeah. The other, the next question sort of links. Is it possible to completely forgive someone so that when we think about the person, we don't feel inflamed with emotions? Uh, well, but there's a story behind that question. Yeah. And, and again, I think, you know, it's one of the things I love when I was thinking about these questions is I love that the the focus of them is obviously people who are wanting to deal with stuff, wanting to make sure that they're, yeah. you, know, you know, they're growing, that they're doing the right responses to the person and for their own um, spiritual growth and things like that. So this is another one of those which I think, you know, it's a great question to ask because it says so much about what you're wanting. You're wanting to make sure um, that there's that sense of love. Um, so, but I think the same kind of thing, um, and, and Aquinas talks about um, the whole idea of um, the hierarchy of soul. We've got the intellect, the rationale, the will that we can say no to our passions and the passions themselves. And they're the things that aren't bad, but we need to then use our will to say no to the bad passions and our intellect to rationale. So I think, you know, if we can, in that place, we can stop and ask ourselves some of those questions about you know what that looks like why why am i feeling this way and what can i do with it based on what i know i've got and, and Listen, the situation I don't, I don't know if you've ever read the book the hiding place with cory ten boom mm, good book there's an extraordinary i don't know if it's in that book but i mean i cory ten boom um was hiding jews and uh, in amsterdam during the war and she gets arrested, her and a sister and a dad. And her father dies first, and her and her sister end up in, in, in one of the concentration camps. It might be Auschwitz, I can't remember. And um, so, and they have a terrible time, and the sister dies there. Her sister dies. And later, Corrie's got a sort of international ministry, this lovely old Dutch woman, and she goes into possibly Germany. And then this man comes up, and she recognises him as the 
man who'd persecuted and actually responsible for the murder of her sister. And Corrie is really jam about that story. Mm, it's a great story. It's actually in the follow-up book. but Is it? it? Mm. What does she do then? You tell us. Well, it's a beautiful thing, and I think it brings home, is that she, this, the guard introduces himself yeah. um, at, at the end of her talk and she yeah. recognises him, she remembers him, um, and he explains that um, he's become a Christian and he comes and he holds out his hand to shake her hand and yeah. asking for her forgiveness. And this is a moment where her passions just kick off and nothing in her wants to shake this guy's or hand forgive the, or forgive the guy. Yeah. You know. But what then she does is she recognises the forgiveness that she's received and this is what she does. She actually gets her will to override her passion and she asks the Lord to give her the grace to do it and she reaches and she does the action first. She reaches out, takes his hand, shakes his hand, um, and at that point, she feels the grace from the choice that she made flow through, the and, and and the emotion then follows the action. It's a beautiful story. It is so. Um, it is possible with divine help, is what I'd say. And um, you know, we just have to keep. I mean, we have to keep trying. How many times should I forgive them? Seven times, <laughs> or seventy times seven? You know, it's endless, really. And we need to sometimes just keep back, going back. We're going to have another music break uh, now. This is Radio Maria England, and uh, this is Questions of Faith. I'm Father Sam Randall. I'm here with uh, a Radio Maria volunteer, and she's uh, helped us. I think, Sister Cecilia, you're doing um, The Wind in the Willows, aren't you? I'm currently recording Wind in the Willows, yes. For us. So, and, mm. and you also help Holy Hour and, and Midday Prayers. Holy prayer. Hour and Midday Prayers, and just finished some editing of the, some beautiful children praying the Chapel of the Sacred Heart, so just having some fun editing that. So that's, yeah, it's good times. Good. So, um, wonderful. If you'd like to share any of your questions with us, you can email us at questions at radiomirrorengland.uk. If you'd like to be volunteer, 
and get your voice on the radio, you could do that. You can call us here on the studio on 02037818423. You could text or WhatsApp to our studio mobile on 07502385010. This program is going to be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Anchor and other podcast services. So our next question is very practical. And this person's asked, and I don't know if this has ever been you, listener. I struggle to engage at Mass. What can I do about it? Sister Cecilia, what would you do? Have you ever struggled at Mass? I have, but I think I'm very fortunate in that being a convert and being well catechized, um, I'm very fortunate to um, be still very excited about all the elements in Mass that I never got to experience. So I find it fairly easy to come back and go, okay, this is what's actually happening, which is really exciting. But I think, you know, practically there's a number of um, reasons that for me personally, if I'm struggling um, to engage, one is that I have to ask myself the question, has it been a while since I've been to confession? Do I need to go to confession? Maybe there's something inside. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe I haven't prepared for mass beforehand, so I've been chattering to my mates about what's having a Bible study rather than, you know, being still. Maybe it's that I haven't actually spent time with God during the week in any form, prayer, scripture reading, and I come in just expect to be able to go, right, Jesus, here I am, go. Um, sometimes too, um, it can, you know, even just be that struggle of, um, yeah, of what's happening in, in my life. Um, and one of the things I really I find that when I am in that space of, oh, I just need that reconnection with the mass. Father Mike Schmitz has a great talk called, um, what is it, The Hour That Will Change Your Life. And, and he really goes in and unpacks the mass and the essence of the mass in a beautiful, beautiful way. And um, and I mean, with with all that too, there can sometimes be the question of I mean, we obviously definitely don't want to do the whole church shopping game, but it's is also important that you're a part of a church where you know you are feeling led and guided and pastorally cared for, and you know that they are taking you forward in your spiritual journey. So I think it's an important question as well in terms of the holistic, you know, ch- church membership and family. Have you ever been to to mass and the homily hasn't been very good? Yes, I have. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm respecting respecting my priests. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, they don't always. I'm, I'm lucky. I have lots of off days. Anyway, <laughs> uh, what do you do if the homily is not good? I am a big believer in the Lord has always got something he can show you. So I used to teach my kids, my youth group kids, a phrase called water off a duck's back that sometimes we'd hear a speaker and they'd say something and you'll just, <gasps> and in that place you'd make the choice to go, right, I either lose everything else that they might say that God might want to use because I just focus on that one phrase or I go water off a duck's back, let it go and ask the Lord, what do you want to show me? And try and find the, even if it's just one thing that you can take away. So that's what I try and do. Most uh, most churches now have a sheet, don't they, with the readings on. You can always meditate on the reading. That's a great idea. If it's... Mm. Um, Something, you yeah, know. Just don't get distracted with games like, you know, how many does, times does a certain word appear and stuff like that. No, no, don't, <laughs> don't do, do that. that no. <laughs> uh, it's terrible if the priest has got to, um, a speech sort of, you know, affectation <laughs> and you start counting them or something. Oh, it's terrible. You mustn't do that. Mustn't do that. No. But <laughs> oh, that, that, so it's, the wonderful thing is um, the Lord speaks through all sorts of things mm. and all sorts of people and, and um, you know, um, even priests who 
can't preach very well sometimes. So, yeah, mm. you've got to listen out for God, haven't you? Absolutely. I think that's one, again, the beautiful listen thing about the God. Catholic Mass is remembering that it's not it's not about us. It's giving honour and glory to God, joining with what's happening in the heavenlies, with joining in uh, with the celebration of the Eucharist and giving glory to God. And that's that's our focus. Have compassion for your priests. Pray for our priests. Pray for the Pray priests. Pray for the priests. Yeah, have compassion, you know. Uh, yeah, it's actually, it's because you're celebrating together. It's not a performance. Mm. You're not coming along and paid your ticket and, and being entertained. You're, you're worshipping together. We are the body of Christ. It's mm-hmm. together. Um, we're praying together, worshipping together. The Lord is present. So we're contributing. You don't just go to church to take. You go to be part of and to give. And actually, you don't go to church because you are church. There you go. There's a quick question, and there's one answer to this. Does God love me even when I feel so far away from him? Yes. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) You are loved. Don't get it down to your emotions. Um, You know, it's you are loved. Thank you, Sister Cecilia, for being with me here today for Questions of Faith. Pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, bless you for coming. If you missed any of this broadcast, we do rebroadcast Questions of Faith. It's on Sundays in 4 p.m. in the afternoon, Mondays at 9 p.m. in the evening and Thursdays at 2 a.m. in the morning. This episode is going to be available as a podcast on our website and on podcast services. So let's pray before we go. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for um, the wisdom you give us through your Holy Spirit. We thank you that the, um, the Holy Spirit is the source of light and fountain wisdom. And we do pray that that Spirit's poured into our hearts, into our intellects, into our minds. Lord, we just ask for that. And we pray for any who've been listening, who've um, lost people through suicide or those who are struggling with depression. We pray for them now, Lord. We pray for those who feel far from you. And uh, we pray for those who've maybe been angry and done something they regret. We commend them to you, Lord. And uh, Lord, we just give thanks for your great love for us all. And um, Lord, for any who are worried about people who've died in purgatory, may they be reassured and help them to know we can pray. We can always pray. And it's not our prayers, but to whom we pray that makes all the difference. So Lord, thank you for your love. We commend you, our listeners, and all those they care for and they love and those for whom they pray. And we remember the question about uh, popes becoming saints. So we pray for the Holy Father, pray for the protection on him and all our church uh, leaders, whoever they are. Lord, we offer this time and this prayer in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.